Welcome to the Horror Babble Originals podcast. Awake by Ian Gordon. One. The man with no name shot up in the bed. As the fog cleared, the notion of a name returned to him, as did a familiar numbness. The numbness was in his head, a kind of nerve-dampening blanket wrapped around his brain. His recollections were hazy, but pushing that aside, he felt all right. Rubbing discharge from the corners of his eyes, he cautiously climbed from the bed and stepped onto the carpeted floor. My room? he considered. The first thing that caught his attention was an acoustic guitar suspended from a wall mount. Bold type on the headstock read, Brand. Its frets were untidy, and its strings were rusty. A tall set of shelves stood next to the guitar. Stacks of books occupied them, each seemingly a clone of its neighbour, the wood title printed on the spine of every single one. Generally speaking, the room was a mess. Clothes strewn haphazardly about the place, piles of compact discs and vinyl records, used mugs, plates, and cutlery, and miscellaneous stationery. Opposite the bed, a painting depicting a glass of water suspended in mid-air glared at him. It spoke to him. Jacob, it whispered. Jacob Tomlinson. Yes, Jacob confirmed. That's my name. Clutching at a dirty sweater thrown over the back of an ugly rattan armchair, Jacob pulled it over his head, noting a musty smell as the fabric passed by his nostrils. Also, on the back of the chair, a pair of stonewashed jeans and a pair of black socks. He continued dressing. Wandering over to a freestanding mirror in front of an open window, he stared at the unfamiliar reflection for a moment before accepting it as truth. The dishevelled character glaring back at him was thirty-something years old, with matted brown hair, a chin full of stubble, and deep-set blue eyes. "'Hello, Jake,' he said, nodding. A small bird, a finch of some sort, landed on the window-sill outside. It studied Jake with a curious eye for several moments, before speaking. Jake heard squawking, but interpreted it as, "'I'm a distraction, you know.' Truth be told, I'd much rather be plucking worms. Confused, but nonetheless intrigued, Jake watched as the bird flew away. The seemingly insignificant encounter coloured his altogether peculiar start to the day. The man in the mirror watched, as his source considered the last few days. Clouds, lots of clouds. Jake's recollections were scatty at best. Moving on, he headed towards a large pine wardrobe, and opened the door. Two items were discovered within—a pair of black plimsolls and a ball of twine. Tossing the twine across the room, Jake collected the shoes and slipped them on. A perfect fit. Vague memories began to return to Jake. The bedsit was one of many in an apartment block owned by some wealthy businessman. The occupants of the building knew little about the owner— as the sycophant responsible for the collection of rent, wasn't at liberty to disclose such information. If Jake's recollections were accurate, 
He would lie awake night after night, listening to the ominous, echoing footsteps passing by the door, the sound of the night owls traversing the apartment block's seemingly endless corridors. He rarely heard voices, but when he did, their conversations were muted and generally unpleasant-sounding. Growing increasingly uneasy, Jake decided to go out for the day. He would track down some friends, and perhaps guzzle a few pints of Guinness. He needed to understand why his life had become so confusing. Collecting a ring of keys and a wallet from a dresser beside the door, he turned to discover the finch had returned to the window. The bird was tiny, three or four inches tall, with a silver ring around its leg. Yellow and black feathers accompanied a stubby beak. Jake watched. As he stared at the bird, he felt a growing sense of urgency. Something was close, very close. The finch broke the hypnotizing trance Jake had fallen into by turning, and once again flying away. He opened the door to the bedsit, and exited. 2. Closing the door behind him, Jake searched through the ring of keys, looking for the one matching the door. His search revealed a bottle-opener in the shape of a boot. Bottle-opener, he muttered to himself. Was that a flicker of a memory in his mind's eye? Hmm, he pondered, happening upon an ordinary-looking Yale key. Jake proceeded to lock the door, and turned to face a staircase, leading down into disconcerting gloom. He gawped curiously at a figure climbing the steps. As the man in the neatly tailored pinstripe suit neared the landing, Jake noted a familiarity. He likened the sensation to that one might feel about a distant relative, the kind of person who only shows his or her face at family funerals. The man reached the top of the stairs and glanced at Jake briefly, before continuing along the dark corridor in the direction of who knows what. As he disappeared into the shadows, Jake heard the distinct— crack-snap sound of the stranger's polished shoes striking the hardwood floor, the result of an unusual gait. The sound continued to reverberate throughout Jake's empty head as he began to descend the stairs. Descending one floor, Jake reached the entrance hall. It was a quiet, empty space, entirely devoid of anything even closely resembling life. In an attempt to preserve the unsettling silence, he tiptoed towards what he assumed was his mailbox. A thorough inspection of the unit, following the discovery of the mailbox key, yielded nothing at all. Empty, he grumbled. Again, the lingering idea of a memory threatened to return to him, in this case taking the form of several silhouettes, shuffling in and out of an unassuming grey door located to his immediate left, beside the mailboxes. The vision lacked definition, and encouraged a sensation similar to vertigo. Jake shook his head, as if trying to shake water from his hair. The quiet of the entrance hall reminded him of the simulated rooms one might encounter in a video game, the type of game you might find yourself playing alone, after midnight, your character stumbling upon a dilapidated building of some description. You'd creep into the assumed safety of the reception area and find comfort in its shadowy recesses. But soon enough, the disconcerting groans of the undead would spook you into action. Jake felt very uncomfortable in that entrance hall. 
Fearful and disheartened by the lack of mail, he headed towards the exit, accompanied by a distant crack-snap sound. 3. Where did Jake live, exactly? He stepped out onto the street and looked from left to right, recognizing nothing. The distinctive scent of orchids pervaded his nostrils, as his eyes studied the myriad concrete towers and ugly structures. A rust-riddled car clung to the curb, next to which a trickle of water ran freely from a busted drainpipe. Across the street, a group of transients huddled together within the sheltered entranceway to what was uncreatively titled Pawn Shop. One of them, a gaunt fellow with deep-set eyes, glared at Jake, his expression accusing. Bemused, Jake set off walking in the direction of Blackley Avenue. Blackley Café, he muttered quietly, the name of the café returning to him inexplicably. As his laboured footsteps carried him along the quiet street, he silently questioned his sanity, passing a laundrette named Laundrette. He paused, his eyes drawn to a lone girl sat next to one of the huge washing machines within. Hesitantly, he approached the vast window and stared longingly at the girl. She was around twenty years old, with fiery auburn hair and emerald green eyes. Jake watched as the girl looked up and offered him a wide smile. Before he could reflect upon the pleasant exchange, there came a tapping upon Jake's shoulder. "'Excuse me,' the unfamiliar voice whispered. Jake swung around and made eye contact with a familiar individual the fellow in the pinstripe suit who passed him in the apartment building. "'Can I help you?' Jake returned, his gaze shifting from the man to his left, to his right, and then back to the man. "'Yes,' the man said. "'I'm looking for someone.' The stranger's dark, navy-blue eyes penetrated Jake. "'Who?' Jake asked. "'A girl,' the stranger continued. Jake searched his empty head. His mind was absolutely blank. He couldn't think. He didn't know any girls, did he? He couldn't think of anybody. He didn't know a single person in the apartment building. And then he arrived at a horrifying conclusion. He didn't know anybody. I, I don't know anybody, he said, the words simply spilling out of him. The man's reaction was as unusual as the day Jake was having. He smiled a huge beaming grin. But before he could give the occurrence any further thought, Jake blacked out. Unbeknownst to him, so did everything else. 4. Jake opened his eyes. He awoke to find his head pressed firmly against a wooden table. He could see a faded ring in the wood, probably an old coffee mug stain. He remained still, thinking, trying hard to recall something, anything. What a predicament! Memories of the former period of consciousness returned to him. I woke up, at home, got out of bed, saw a bird, a finch. Then— His train of thought was interrupted by a series of unsettling crack-snap sounds. Somebody in a pinstripe suit slid across the bench on the opposite side of the table. Jake slowly looked up. Excuse me, 
the man started. Jake squinted and sat up. Memories of the previous conversation with the strange man returned to him with crystal clarity. Prompted by the recall, Jake answered, "'Can I help you?' And just as before, the stranger said, "'Yes, I'm looking for someone.' A name occurred to Jake. Alan Nelson. Could this man before him be Alan Nelson? If so, just who was Alan Nelson, anyway?' "'Are you Alan Nelson?' Jake asked. The stranger frowned. The look of bafflement filled his face. "'Yes,' the man answered. "'That's my name.' Shifting awkwardly on the bench, Alan Nelson ran a hand through a mound of curly brown hair. Oddly, he began mouthing words silently, his face free of expression. Jake glared at him. Alan Nelson, a sort of stuffed animal, barking silently. Puzzled, Jake returned to the previous topic of conversation in an effort to withdraw Alan Nelson from the strange state of catatonia he appeared to have fallen into. So, who are you looking for? Startled, Nelson shook his head and inhaled deeply. Then he spoke. A girl, he answered, just as before. This time, however, Jake thought of the girl in the laundrette, the lone lady who had offered him such a huge, heartfelt smile. Perhaps Alan Nelson was looking for her. Though, if indeed that was the case, then why hadn't Alan Nelson noticed her when he questioned Jake outside the laundrette? For the second time that day, Jake blacked out. 5. There was a sound buzzing in Jake's ear, a vibration. In it, he could hear several muffled voices, possibly two muffled voices. One was in the process of offering something to the other. Here, take it, voice one, a male, said. Take it. Don't question it. Just take it. Jake considered opening his eyes, but refrained. The voices continued to mutter indistinctly for several moments, before ceasing. Jake's train of thought was interrupted by the sound of water being pumped into a machine of some kind, followed by the sound of a large cylinder rotating. A washing machine? Opening his eyes, he found himself in the laundrette, lying face up on the floor. The shop was empty. Slowly, he climbed to his feet. The laundrette had nothing to hide. A basic vending machine stocked full of detergents, two rows of front-loading washing machines, one engaged, and an uncomfortable-looking wooden bench. Then he saw her, a girl, the girl. Had she been there all along, lurking in the shadows? She made eye contact with Jake and stared at him longingly, folding a damp linen sheet. Her grip on the sheet repeatedly tightened and slackened as she glared at him. Jake approached her tentatively. All fell silent. Even the sound of the active washing machine faded away. He stopped in front of her, their eyes fixed upon one another. Then came the rain, starting out as an inconsistent tapping on the window frame of the laundrette. It gradually transformed into a raging storm, putting an end to the silence. Refusing to acknowledge the downpour, the two continued to study each other. As the rain pattered against the window frame, 
accompanied by flashes of light and cracks of thunder, Jake became aware of a presence outside of the laundrette. He turned rapidly and saw Alan Nelson, his hands capped around his face, pressed against the glass, watching. Jake's attention returned to the girl, who was now holding out a rolled-up piece of paper. "'Take this,' she whispered, her soft voice as delicate as rose petals. "'What is it?' Jake replied. "'Just take it,' she repeated, her voice filled with a sense of urgency. "'Why?' "'Take it. Don't question it. Just take it.' The girl's head turned as the laundrette door flung open. Alan Nelson stepped inside, dripping from head to toe, his expression blank. Jake took the paper from the girl's hand as Alan Nelson moved to intercept. He unfurled the paper and thought he caught the words figment and imagination before once more blacking out. Jake thought no more. 6. Alan Nelson shot up in what he assumed was his bed. As the fog cleared, a familiar numbness returned to him. The numbness was in his head, a kind of nerve-dampening blanket wrapped around his brain. His recollections were hazy, but pushing that aside, he felt all right. Rubbing discharge from the corners of his eyes, he cautiously climbed from the bed and stepped onto the carpeted floor. "'Good Lord!' he muttered. "'Not again.' Alan took a few more steps before coming into contact with a partially unravelled ball of twine. He slid and flew headlong into his acoustic guitar, dislodging it from the wall mount. Alan and the guitar hit the ground with a kind of harmonious thud, and a reverberating E softly bounced from wall to wall. His head had landed on a book called Time and time again, he found amusement in the book's cover. It depicted several hovering clocks, and a frustrated man trying to destroy them with a sledgehammer. Generally speaking, Alan's room was a mess, clothes strewn haphazardly about the place, piles of compact discs and vinyl records, used mugs, plates and cutlery, and miscellaneous stationery. Opposite the bed, a painting depicting a glass of water suspended in mid-air, glared at him. Everything was exactly as it should be. Clutching at a dirty sweater thrown over the back of his ugly, rattan armchair, Alan pulled it over his head, noting a musty smell as the fabric passed by his nostrils. Also on the back of the chair, a pair of stonewashed jeans and a pair of black socks. He continued dressing. Wandering over to a freestanding mirror in front of an open window, he stared at the familiar reflection for a moment. The dishevelled character glaring back at him was Alan Nelson, a man with matted brown hair, a chin full of stubble, and deep-set blue eyes. If his physical appearance hadn't consumed his attention like a slobbering dog, he may have noticed the small bird that landed on his windowsill. Hello ladies and gents, Ian here. Be sure to pop on over to our YouTube channel or Facebook page for regular updates. If you'd like to support our work, please consider taking a look at our Patreon or Bandcamp pages, or search for us on Audible. You'll find links to everything on our website, horrorbabble.com forward slash links. <laughs>